So this morning, I want to start a series of lessons where we look at specific verses that are often taken out of context. And I want to look at those verses in the specific context that they are in and see what they truly mean. I want to do this because I feel like we're still in that process of you guys getting to know me. And I want you to see how I view Scripture. I think for... a Not too long ago, I I viewed the Bible as this bag of verses. This bag of verses that I could just reach in and grab whichever one I needed when I wanted to prove whatever I wanted, to make me feel however I wanted. And I could just reach in that bag and pull it out. Bam, there it is. I think that's that's a way that we can be, I guess, deceived into viewing the Bible. That's not what Scripture is for. When taken in context... Scripture will always point to Jesus. It will always point to Jesus somehow, some way. When we take verses and we use them however we want to, to do whatever we want, we're pulling them out of context and we're making Scripture more about us than it is about anything else. When taken in context, Scripture will always point us to Jesus. This morning, the verse that I want to start, I guess, this series of lessons with is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It's a very popular verse, and I think all of us are familiar with that verse. What I want to do is I want us to examine the particular context that it is sitting in. And I want us to see how this verse points to Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Man, that verse sounds really good. It can be a very, very comforting and uplifting, encouraging verse. And we see it a lot. I think I call it the coffee mug verse. We see it on coffee mugs. See it posted on walls. We see it on stickers. This verse is often used at graduations as people are transitioning into a new stage of life to say God has a specific plan for, for your specific life, and that is a good plan. Things will be good in your future. It's used in our world to say God has good things in store for you. God has a good job here. God has a good salary coming. God has great things for you in your future. It's often used to say that God has a specific plan for our specific lives. But this verse, God is not talking to us. God is not saying these words specifically to us. He is talking to a certain people at a certain time, and he is promising them something. A promise taken out of context can be just as deceiving as a lie. I want to repeat that as as we start to, to look at this verse. A promise taken out of context can be just as deceiving as a lie. I'm going to give you an example just to show you what I mean by that. Let's say... Let's say after services, me and Benny are talking. And I promise Benny that I am going to make this ribeye dinner for him. This big ribeye steak, and it's going to be this great dinner. Well, Will overhears this conversation, this promise that I make to Benny. And Will records me promising Benny that. And so Will shows up at my house the next day, 
and he plays that recording for me and he says look you promised me this where's this big ribeye where is this you promised me this and I say no 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 I, I didn't promise you that I promised Benny that well Will thinks I have promised him that and so when I don't deliver on that promise Will thinks I've lied to him Will thinks I have deceived him I think the, pro- the same it goes for this verse we can think that God has a specific plan of good things for our life. But when there aren't good things, we can easily point the finger at God. God, you lied to us. The reality is, life is not always filled with good things. There are tough times in life. This verse it is not speaking directly to us, but it does apply to us today. And I want us to see how it applies to us. But in order to do that, We have to look at the specific context that it sits in. And to do that, we must understand who Jeremiah was. Jeremiah was a prophet for the kingdom of Judah during a time where the people of God had turned their back on God. They they had gone their own way and they had worshipped other idols. They had treated each other terribly. And God calls Jeremiah up to prophesy to these people, to get them to repent, to get them to come back to him. God tells Jeremiah that his message is going to consist of two certain things. The first thing is this. Turn back to God. Turn back from, from the lifestyle that you've been living. Turn from your sin. Come back to him. Repent. And the second part of his message was to accept the judgment that was coming. Accept the judgment that is coming. Babylon is coming to the kingdom of Judah, and they are going to destroy this kingdom. They are going to take everybody into captivity. They are going to kill all, almost everybody. Accept that judgment. That is the punishment for your sin, and you have to accept that. So his message was repent and accept the judgment. But here's the thing. When God gave this message to Jeremiah, he also told him, nobody's going to listen to you. Not a single person will listen to what you have to say. And so Jeremiah spends his whole life preaching this message, and it's like he's talking to a brick wall. But not only that, there are also these false prophets. They are giving the people a false hope. Jeremiah says, turn from your sin. You're doing wrong. But the false prophets say, No, you're not. You're going just fine. Don't listen to him. Life is just fine. Jeremiah says Babylon is coming. They're going to destroy you. They're going to take you into captivity. The prophets say no. No, they're not. They're not going to do that. Well, in 605 BC, the Babylonians come in. And they take the first wave of captives into Babylon. And they take some people into captivity. But still... Nobody listened to Jeremiah. Nobody listened to a single word he said. And the false prophets were still giving false hope. They were still saying, yeah, that, 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 don't worry about that. Yeah, the, the Babylonians, they came and they take you in captivity. Don't worry about that. It's not going to happen like Jeremiah said. Before no time, you'll come back to Jerusalem. Everything will be great. Don't worry about that. Well, eight years later, Babylon comes back again. They take another wave of captives. 
And this one, even bigger than the first wave, they even take the king of Judah with them into captivity. Still, the false prophets were giving false hope. No, don't worry about that. Don't worry about what's going on. It's just a little while, just a couple days. You'll be back to Jerusalem like nothing happened. You'll go to life like it's normally, like we normally lived it. Don't worry about it. These false prophets were continuing to give the people false hope. And so you have these captives taken from, from the kingdom of Judah to Babylon. They're living in slavery and they have this false sense of hope. This hope that they're going to go back to the land, back to Jerusalem, and it's going to be like the way it used to be. And so they're living with this false hope. And so Jeremiah writes a letter to these captives, to these exiles living in Babylon. He writes this letter, and this letter is found in Jeremiah 29. Read with me in verse 4. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and multiply. And do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Jeremiah writes this letter to these captives who have been living with this false sense of hope, thinking that life is going to go back to the way it is. They're thinking about what life used to be. And he writes this letter and he says, no, build houses, plant gardens, take, take, wives, for your, take wives for your sons, husbands for your daughters. This is the reality that you are living in right here and right now. It is important that they must accept this reality. This is the punishment for their sins. If they don't accept this punishment, that they are being punished, then they're not going to turn from their sin. Think of it as, as if you, you gave a kid a timeout or some kind of punishment for him, what he did wrong. And the entire time this kid is in timeout, he's just thinking, I'm not in timeout. What? What are they talking about? I'm not in timeout. I wanted to be here. I wanted to do this. I did nothing wrong. It was, it's, just, it's just normal. What are they talking about? I did nothing wrong. There would be no use in that punishment if that kid didn't accept his punishment. And the same is here for these captives, these exiles living in Babylon. If they don't accept that they're being punished, if they don't accept that, that this is the punishment from their sins, they're not going to repent. And that's why God punished them in the first place, to bring them to repentance. You know, I think it's ironic that Jeremiah used... Well, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Jeremiah will go on and he'll tell them that they are going to be here for 70 years. This is the life that they live. The majority of these exiles, these people living in, in captivity... They're going to die in captivity. This is the life that they now live. And he calls them to accept that reality. Pick up with me in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not 
Do not listen to the prophets. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them. Again, God warns them, don't listen to these false prophets. Because they are giving you a false sense of hope. They are telling you something that is not true. They are giving you a reality that is not your reality right here now. They're giving you false hope to hold on to. I think it's ironic that we use this, that, that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11 to do the same thing that the false prophets were doing in Jeremiah's time. The false prophets were giving false hope to the people in we can often use that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11 to give false hope to people today. God has a specific plan for your specific life. But the reality is, it's not always good. There are not always good things in life. And when things get bad, we can easily point the finger at God. There are going to be some hard days in life. There are going to be some tough times that aren't always good. That's just the reality that we live in. And if we have this false sense of hope, this false hope that God has great things for our specific lives, we're not going to accept that reality. We're going to take that we're not going to accept the reality that there are tough times. False hope, a false sense of hope makes it hard to embrace reality. False hope makes blinds us to the reality that we live in. And Jeremiah calls the, these exiles, these, these people living in captivity, to get rid of that false hope and accept the reality that you're in right now. You are being punished for your sins. God is calling you to repentance. God wants you to come back. That's why he's given you this. But if they don't accept that punishment in the first place, then repentance is not an option at all. Jeremiah 29 verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah was going to give these people a real hope, a real hope that they could hold on to. The false prophets were giving the, the people this false sense of hope, not based on, on the reality and the truth that they were living in. This false, this false hope was wishful thinking. Wishful thinking that life is going to go back to the way it is used to be. And when we take Jeremiah twenty nine eleven out of its context, that's what we're doing. We're basing our hope off of wishful thinking. I have wishful thinking that, that God will give me great things in life. I have wishful thinking that God will bless you. God will, will give you great things, make you prosperous. I have wishful thinking, and I hope that happens. But it, it's not going to happen. What if it doesn't happen? What happens when it, that doesn't happen? Real hope is based on a confidence in the reality and truth that we are in. Real hope you can grab a hold of. And it, you can grab a hold of it with confidence. 
God is telling these people that they, if they accept the reality that is happening, then that is where their real hope lies. That is where that true confidence is. He will bring them back to the land. If they accept this punishment, they accept this time of time out in the corner, then God will bring them back to the land and he will make them a people again. He will make them a great nation once more. But that's only if they accept the reality that they are in. God is giving them real hope. God is giving them hope based on faithfulness to his promise. I don't know what the future holds for any of us. I don't know what God has in store for any of us. I hope it's great things. I have wishful thinking that, that it's filled with great and prosperous things. But that may not be the case. But I have a real hope, a real confidence in the truth of God's word, in the truth of who he is. And that hope can get me through that future, whether there are good things or bad things. Pick up with me back in verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your, your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God had a plan for these Jews, these Israelites that were in exile, and that plan he was going to be faithful to that plan. These words here, they echo what he says later in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. Talking of that new covenant that God is going to bring through his people. Through the Jewish nation, through the Israelite nation, God was going to bring up Jesus, that Messiah, to save the world, to bring salvation for all. And it was through those Jews that he would bring them. He was going to use them and make them a great nation that way. That was God's promise. He was letting them know that, yes, what they're going through is tough. Yes, what they're going through is hard. But he was not done with them as a nation. He was not done with them as a people. And he was still going to use them. He still had a plan for them. That plan was not for them to stay in captivity. That plan was for them was not to stay in a life of slavery. That plan was a future of hope. To bring them back into the land. To make of them a great nation. To bring the Messiah, the root of David up. To save the world and bring salvation to all. That's what this verse is about. It's about that. God is not done with these people. And when you think of that, when you put it in its context, this verse points to Jesus. This verse points to the ultimate fulfillment of God not being done with the Jewish nation. It points to Jesus. But this verse is also a reminder of the faithfulness of God. That God is faithful to his promise. You know, we saw it this morning in Genesis God promised Abraham all this stuff. And then throughout the Old Testament, he kept that promise. He kept his promise to him. He was faithful to his promise. And in a way, God has promised us something too. 
He has promised us that one day that trumpet will sound. One day Jesus will come into this world and he will take us home and we will be with him for all eternity. And this verse is a reminder that God is always faithful to his promise. That day will happen. You know, just like the exiles were living in a foreign land. They were living as foreigners in Babylon. Peter will write in 1 Peter, and he'll talk of us Christians being exiles, foreigners in a foreign land, waiting to go home. You and I are waiting to go home. We're waiting to, for the, the completion of God's promises to us. And this verse gives us a reminder that God is always faithful to his promise. When we use this verse to point it to our specific lives, to give us hope for for the specific life that we have and the specific future that we have, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment because the future is not always going to be good. There are not always good things in store for us. And that sets us up for disappointment down the road. But when we take this verse in context, we see that God does not want us to be disappointed. He does not want us to live in in that state of disappointment. God wants to give us a future. And He wants to give us a hope. And our hope is anchored in Him and who He is. And when our hope is anchored in that, when it's anchored in what He's done in the gospel, we will never be set up for disappointment. In the gospel is where our true hope and our true future lie. This morning... I want to remind us that that's the hope that God has for us. That is the future that God has planned out for us. To be with Him. To have a relationship with Him for all eternity. It's a future and a hope. A plan for welfare and not for evil. Just like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. This morning, if you have any need, I invite you to come. And if you ha- want, to, <clears throat> I extend that invitation to you to join us with that future and that hope. If there's anything that you have, come as we stand and as we sing.